Today's passage, we're jumping into our, our justice series, and it's coming out of Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to go from verses 10 to 17. If you're just joining us, last several weeks, including next week, we're doing a whole month on, on learning about this idea of God's justice and what does it mean for a church like ours to respond. Um, this is the third message, uh, and we're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. Let me read for us. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offering of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am wary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the veil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This is the word of God. Let's pray really quick. Thank you, Jesus, for this reminder. Thank you for this season that who are we that you are mindful of us and as a church community we get to glean from your scripture to really learn about the things that you deeply care about God loving the fatherless and and really pleading for the cause of the widows Lord it is our confession oftentimes it's really hard for us to get out of our own heads to get out of our own situations, our challenges, our troubles, and think about those that are really in need. So Holy Spirit, as you have always done, would you be gracious to us? Would you open up our hearts? Would you make our hearts softer? And as we hear these stories of those that are living such a broken lives, those that are living such a difficult lives, help us, God, to not just have pity, but to help us to be able to relate and cry and approach life as, as you have always been, Lord. We thank you for today. We thank you for the word. Just we pray. Amen. So, you know, we are doing this justice series called Do Justice uh, with the help of an organization called IJM, International Justice Mission. Next week, one of the vice presidents of IJM will be here sharing with us, IJM Korea uh, there's an office IJM created here. They heard that we're doing this whole month uh, on, the, on the idea of justice, and we've been using a lot of their curriculum. They were so blessed by our willingness to do this. They're flying over one of their guys on their own bill to just help share, to be able to not only connect with their community, but to really share um, what they're doing and how we can get involved as a church. So if you're just joining us, we launched this series about three weeks ago, and we begin by looking at the creation account, Genesis 1, and I talked about how you and I, everyone in this room, we are made in the very image of God. 
And, and that truth should completely change the way we think about each other, that we have this inherent value, that our value does not come from what we can produce, but who we are, the very image of God that we carry, that each of us carry. And lastly, Pastor John spoke through Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus' quote of the Isaiah passage, and how Jesus came to restore life as it was meant to be, shalom. And how Jesus has come to bring real, tangible justice on earth. And how we too, his people, his children are called, he used the term anointed for the same purpose. Today, we're in the book of Isaiah. And really, the historical context of Isaiah chapter 1 is one of political instability, religious decline, spiritual decline, and the immediate threat of invasion from neighboring nation. Uh, thousands of years of, has passed since the, 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 the text. And if you think about it, so much of our world struggles with the same thing. And it's in this very context, God speaks his heart to his people through prophet Isaiah. God has had it enough. If you, if you hear the tone of this passage, you can see that God is utterly frustrated with his people. And God says, let me just speak honestly. This is just honest conversation God wants to have with his people. Verse 3, right? We didn't read verse 3, but verse 3, Isaiah chapter 1, it says, The ox knows its owner, yet Israel does not. Verse 4, They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. This is really interesting because God says, You do all of these religious things. You bring all these burnt offering. You, you celebrate all these festivals and feasts, yet you do not know me. Even an ox knows its master, yet Israel, my chosen people, you have no idea who I am. And then that's the whole beginning of Isaiah chapter 1. And then we get to verse 10, our passage. This is where God begins to call his people to, the, to return to the true sense of worship. So our passage, really simply, you can divide our passage into two sections. Worship that God despises, worship that God delights. So one, worship that God despises or worship that God does not receive. Verse 12, God asks this rhetorical question. This section begins with prophet Isaiah through God's revelation asking this rhetorical question. Who has required you of this trampling of my courts? God is simply saying, I did not require this type of worship, right? He's saying their gifts are worthless, their incense is abomination, their worship services are not simply bad, but God says they are evil. In fact, the whole thing has become too much for God to remain silent. God says, now I'm going to speak out. In verse 13, he says, bring no more vain offerings. The word vain in original, original language, it literally means falsehood, emptiness, empty gift. Gifts that you bring, they're empty. The worship that you are doing, they are full of lies. Verse 14, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. All these celebrations, Right, all these feasts, the Passover, the Pentecost, 
the Feast of Tabernacle, and all these feasts that God has designed for his people were designed in a way it would draw people's heart back to God. And every feast had their own purpose to be able to draw people to the heart of God. And God says, these, these things you're doing, they're simply events. These things you're doing, they're just man-centered celebration. You're just gathering together to eat and celebrate and do all of these things, but I'm not in your worship. So verse 15, God says, When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And all because your hands are full of blood. Yes, if you, if you imagine the imagery, right? What, I, what Isaiah is saying is, yes, your hands are full of blood of the sacrifice. There are many burnt offerings on the altar, but they're also full of blood of the innocent lives that you have committed violent against. Those that you have abused, those that you have robbed, I have heard their cry. So really what God is saying is, I will not hear your prayers because your prayers do not match the life that you live. And if you really understand the historical context of time in, in Judah, at the time of this letter, oppression of the poor was rampant. It was just all over the city. The wealthy and the powerful were guilty of cheating people out of their land for their own gain. There was much corruption in the legal system. The judges and the leaders of Judah, they would take bribes and show favoritism, leading to more injustice in the legal system. If you think about it, not much different from what's happening in, in most part of the world, right? There's so much injustice. There was widespread of adultery, prostitution, other sexual perversion. Yet at the same time, their temples, the temples in Judah, were never in shortage of burnt offerings and all these festivals were full of people, and it just went on and on and on. So what God is simply saying is, I am deeply offended by this hypocrisy. And when we think about it, more than we realize, I mean, to put you and I into the context of this text, it, it seems hard because it's such a different context, and the way we worship, the way they worship, very different. Yet, more than we realize, this passage I think is just as relevant for you and I today. Here through Isaiah, God is addressing a human tendency, a human tendency that existed from the very beginning to use religious behavior as a means to manipulate God for our own benefit. God is addressing our human tendency to use religious behavior as a means to manipulate him for our purpose. Listen to a commentator, an IV application uh, commentator. It says, he says this, John Oswald, he says, Ritual, uh, ritualistic religion gives the worshiper the feeling of being in control and being able to procure for oneself the benefits one seeks. By contrast, treating other people in just and right ways seems to have no religious efficacy at all. It does not put God in our debt and seems to have no capacity for manipulating him. Ritualistic religion gives the worshiper the feeling of being in control. This idea, right? Just as Israelites, they were, they were living the sinful lives, yet they 
continue to come to the temple. And, 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 and what, what John Oswald is saying is it's so easy for humans when we do these religious activities, by our religious activities, we put God in debt. Right? A lot of these religious activities that we do, whether we realize it or not, is, is not about God. It's actually about the person. Because truth is, humanity, we've always struggled with wanting control, wanting upper hand and we assume if we could just do enough religious activities, we can sort of keep God, God on our payroll. We can sort of live the life that we want and just pay our dues and hopefully God will be appeased. Hopefully God would be thankful that we came to church today. That God would be thankful that we actually prayed. That God would be thankful that we tied you know, this month. Yeah, friends, if, if you... Read through Genesis, through Revelation. God is creator. He is revealed to be someone who cannot be manipulated. Right? If we believe God is all-knowing, then it follows that God cannot be deceived. If we believe that God is all-powerful, it follows that God cannot be controlled. And if we believe God is all-loving, that it follows that God will always act in the best interest of all creation, not just yourself, not just myself. And he will not be swayed by selfish human intentions. Yet again, we assume as long as we come to church, as long as we read our Bibles, as long as we pray and tithe and go on missions and do these things, and not break too many rules, not do too many illegal things, God somehow owes us something. Again, perhaps even assume that God should be grateful, that God should be thankful that we showed up to church, that God should be thankful that I was willing to get out of my house to come and, and sing these songs and hear the word and, and pray and give and tithe. But friends, one thing, that this is Christianity 101. I don't know how you came to church today. I don't know how you think about your relationship with God. But here is Christianity 101. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be controlled. No matter how much we want to, no matter how much we want to believe that we can put God on our payroll, we cannot. God is the creator. God is the one who is in charge. I'll, I'll tell you, right? And, and, and this, this is hard to kind of navigate when things are going well, when life is going well, when promotions are coming, when relationships are good, and when our kids are doing great. It, it is harder to tell. But as soon as things get hard, as soon, as soon as life gets challenging, we'll know who's in charge. Because you know why? Whenever challenges come, if God is in control, and if God is the one we worship, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be tough. But we'll still submit, just like our sister's testimony, Connie, submitting, I don't know what's happening tomorrow, just submit to the will of God. But if God is on our payroll, if God is indebted to us, what happens when going gets tough, when life gets hard? What's our response? God, how come you're not providing? God, how come you're not protecting me? God, how come you're not giving? God, how come you're not answering 
And that's the exact attitude that God is speaking against in our text. God says, no more vain offerings, no more prayers, no more lifting of your hands, no more theater. So now let's look at the worship that he desires, and, and we're going to go rather quickly. Verse 16 and 17 is the worship, is a portion where Isaiah deals with the worship that God desires from us. In verse 16, 17, it says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove all evil of your deeds, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You see, throughout the both Old Testament and New Testament, if you think about all of Scripture, when God calls out His people, when God becomes frustrated, frustrated with Israelites, there are just two major sins. If you summarize the scripture, there are two main sins that God continues to talk about. It's the sin of idolatry and it's the sin of injustice. Sin of idolatry, sin of injustice. They're just two things. And these two, if you think about it, they are deeply connected. They're, they're, They're deeply, intimately intertwined, these two sins. It's because idolatry violates first part of God's law. If you think about Ten Commandments, there are Ten Commandments. First five deals with what? You shall only have me as your God. Commandment six to ten deals with what? You should love your neighbor. In fact, when Jesus arrived, right, and in Jesus' ministry, a teacher came to Jesus, teacher who knew all the laws in the Old Testament. And, and, and this teacher asked Jesus, Jesus, if you could summarize all these laws, what's one, what's one rule of life? Jesus, without betting eye, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength as you love others as you love yourself. That's really the summary of the law. That's really... What, what I want you to do. Do not have idols. Do not commit acts of injustice against other people. This means, friends, injustice. When we think about challenges of injustice, we've been talking about it through these videos, stories of these real people who are struggling, who are going through real uh, human tra- being human trafficked. Injustice is not simply problems of greed. Yes, money talks, and many reasons, many reasons why so many people are trafficked are because of finance reasons. But it's not simply issue of greed or anger or lust. They exist. They're part of it. But really at the heart, injustice, it is sin of idolatry. Every act of injustice result of treating human beings as not humans, but as objects. Not someone with inherent value like we talked about. You see, when a child is sold, right, we hear these crazy stories in the Philippines of these children as young as two being sold for, for, for cyber, you know, for people that want to buy, buy, buy online sex. And a lot of times it's their own parents that are selling these child. When you think about it, it's not simply this parent, they're greedy or they're in poverty and they have no choice. That's part, of the pro- that's part of the problem. But really deep down inside, something else has become their idol. It's, it's the issue of idolatry. These two things are deeply intertwined. First murder in the Bible. When you think about Cain and Abel, right? 
Cain and Abel brings offering to God. First murder recorded in Genesis. Why did Cain murder Abel? See, when, when God, God told Cain, hey, your gift is not acceptable, Cain could have repented, could have turned away. But instead, he murders his own brother who's innocent. Yes, there was jealousy. Yes, there was anger. But deep down inside, it was worship problem. It's his worship that was not in the right place that led him to kill his own innocent brother. This means, and let's, let's wrap this up, in order to truly love others, in order to really care about issue of injustice all around us, in our homes, in our workplace, in, in, in globally, if we really want to care and if we really want to respond in the right way, the first thing that needs to happen is we need to be restored in our place of worship. Our place of worship must be restored, must be strengthened. Just as godly life is requirement of true worship, God is calling out His people, hey, you live like this and you think I'm going to accept your offering? Just like that. It works the other way as well. True worship is what restores our sense of justice. If I'm really honest, um, you know, as I've been preparing these messages, I'm watching these videos, I'm hearing these stories of just unbelievable things that are happening to children, women all around the world. But, but, but as I was watching, even Folly's story, I felt shame because deep down inside, I was... I, I kind of removed myself from myself and said, me, you should actually be more sad. Your heart should be more broken. But I felt ashamed because I, 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 my heart wasn't. I, I became so used to these stories. I became so used to these things. When I should be crying and, and asking God to, to, to intervene, my heart is, man, how can I just preach a good sermon? How can I just... More? And I realized, man, my place of worship is not in the right place. We watch these videos, we hear these stories, and I, and, and, and I don't think it's just me. I think we've gotten so used to the world being so broken. There's so much pain. When we hear the story, often it's not, God, we need, we, we need to respond. God, we need to pray. God, we need to, we need to rise up. It's more like, oh, another person, another victim. There are 50 million people. IJM, they, only, they were only able to save 10,000 in 20 years. Is that even worth it? Like, that's how I think. And I realized, Lord, I need to repent before you because my worship is not in the right place. So guys, my hope, our hope is, as we do this justice talk, my hope is, it's not simply we, we sign up with IJM to support and do, that's great, but really for us to start there's a reorientation of our heart to really begin to care about the things that God cares about, to really be able to see the life the way God sees. Because I think, if I'm honest, coming out of COVID, so much of our Christianity is focused about, hey, how, how am I doing? How's my mental health? Do I want to go to church? What will the church do for me? 
These are important questions. But when we look at Scripture, when we hear what God is saying through Isaiah 1, surely that can't be, that can't be our heart. But I, but I also know, friends, and this is where we'll wrap up, verse 16, 17. This is not something we can do. Verses 16, 17, God says, wash yourself. Get rid of evil. Stop doing evil. Stop doing these things. And we know none of these things we can do our own. Only by coming to Jesus, only by worshiping the Savior who came to undo all these things, we can truly be transformed and begin to care for the things that He cares about. So, so this is my invitation as we are in the middle of this justice series. More than being burdened by all the numbers and being burdened by all the things that we need to do, it's by first coming to God and saying, God, I, my heart is not right. God, I care more about other things than what's happening around, around me. God, would you transform my heart? Would you make my heart softer? Would you turn my heart of stone into heart of flesh? And that's my invitation to us to join me because I know we need more of that before we can really engage and really pray and really champion, become the champion that God has called our church to be. Amen? I want to invite the worship team, just give you guys a moment to pray, uh, to ask God, um, to repent. And, and, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to continue to move our hearts, to continue to soften our hearts so that we can really be the champion that God has called our church to be. I'm going to give you guys a few moments to pray, and, and, and we'll just pray together as a community. Let's pray. Father, we repent of the worship that we give. So often, our, our worship is man-centered. So often, it's what, what's in it for me. So often, it's how I can control you. Father, we ask you would forgive us. Father, we ask you would restore our worship, our corporate worship, but also our personal worship with you, Lord. And all the excuses, all the reasons, Father, we come against the lie of the enemy. We come against a heart that is apathetic to come against heart that is that cannot be settled before you Holy Spirit would you 
restore our worship. So that when we come together, when we raise our hands and when we sing these songs, this is not just some theater, this is not some act, but this is a genuine outcry of our hearts. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us clean hands, Lord. We ask, for, we pray for King's Cross, our church, Lord, as you have put us on this journey of seeking your heart. Lord, would you transform us? Would you continue to challenge us? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Just in we pray. Amen.